never say die! Hello, everybody. This is 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh, and it strikes me as unfair that it's considered adorable when Elliot lures a creature into his bedroom with Candry, but I do it, and they have to get the justice system involved. And that's because this creature is a child. Well, so is his wife. <laughs> She's not that much younger. <laughs> Reset up, pieces. Oh, my God. Right over the plate and out of the park. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Holy crap. All right. Well, if you haven't figured it out, I don't know why you would, but uh, E.T. and Stranger Things are the topic of this week's show. Yeah. I mean, we've had a lot of requests to talk about Stranger Things since it seems completely in our wheelhouse as a uh, love letter to the 80s. And uh, we noted a few similarities, which we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Speaking of similarities, you know what's similar to us? Other podcasts. Such as are the they pod- really? They are. <laughs> such as yeah, such as the podcast hey. collective. <laughs> yeah, if you uh, go to the podcast collective, you can uh, hear such shows as the Bad Parenting Podcast, On the Block, No Hope for Humanity, Joel's own the Sunshine Happy Pants Hour, the Coffin Joe Cast, Dating Baggage, the Internet with Scott the Pool Boy, I Am Salt Lake Mint in Box Cast. Tales from the Hard Side, the Dog and Deuce Show, the Empty Rant Podcast, and the Rad Dad Radio Hour. Watch Scott, or listen to Scott the Pool Boy. Still haven't listened to that man. Like how I uh, reorganized them so I could say yeah. the Rad Dad Radio Hour last? <laughs> I, I know. I, I saw you. And I, and I, cut, I was actually kind of hoping at the last second I noticed that I had accidentally copied the home link. From the list of podcasts. Now, Such shows as home links. <laughs> email us. Contact us. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, check out some of the great podcasts that are on the Podcast Collective. And if you are hanging around Saturday at noon, you can listen to us on Geek Life Radio at uh, noon. Yes. Again. You can do. You can do if that twice. Our archives from uh, show 30 on, you can uh, find them at iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and the entire archives is always on TalkShoe. Yep. And I realized last last show, I promised that I would have the old show up by Wednesday. It is now Thursday, and the show is still not up. Yes, I know I lied to you, but I got a lot of shit going on. So, um, between work and a wedding, where I'm probably going to get really, really messed up, I'm a... Uh, yeah. Well, I've I don't been, want to hear any complaining about it from any of you meatbags. Yeah, I've been training for it. I've been drinking uh, tequila for before bed. For 43 years. <laughs> yeah, for 43 years I've been training for this my brother's wedding, which should be amazing. God, I wish I was there. I wish you were there, too. You know what? We, I, I, you know what I'm thinking? is just What if I just hung my phone around my neck and put uh, video on Skype? <laughs> or just get get one of those uh, things on wheels with a stick and the, and the iPad in the face. I'll just FaceTime. <laughs> yeah, I do. The, you know what? I just realized I can't. That's do not going to freak him out. <laughs> oh, trust me. At this point, Robocop. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anybody that was there for Elizabeth's wedding is probably glad I'm not going to be there. <laughs> that was. One of these you days, stand up when they asked about. No. Oh, that's the one where Mike and I made out in the middle of the dance floor because they tried oh, to one right. of us. Yeah. Don't so, ever do that. Don't yeah. Don't ever try and draw a line with me and him. <laughs> it's, we'll be like, nice line. 
The best part <laughs> best part about it was that when you and I started kissing is when the pastor walked in. And he, <laughs> later on, I told you later on, he's like, I walked in and said, I'm at the wrong wedding. <laughs> this, is, this is not the wedding I just just did. Oh, well. So if well, like, if, uh, there, there's a lot of details of that story that's missing that we're yeah. not going to have time to go into. Right. If you'd like to request details, you can always give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. There's a transition. That was well done, sir. <laughs> yeah. I was waiting to pounce. <laughs> All right. Really, uh... <laughs> Speaking of calling in and leaving messages. Yeah. Oh, we, here we go. We have voicemails. Uh, I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning. these. <laughs> Yeah, you. Oh dear. So, well, you know what? First, let's start with the new person in the group. We have an e- uh, voicemail from uh, Gretchen, friend of all of ours. Let's see what she is saying. Her second take. Dean's wife. Yes. Hi guys, this is Gretchen. I thought I'd recommend an episode for you. Why don't you do the best bad movies? I know you used to watch them back in the apartment days, so I thought you can cover both then and now. Have a great day. She was reading so through a script. Of, it's kind of like the Mockbusters thing. Well, yeah, I don't know. The don't... Mockbusters were good, bad movies. Yeah. Those were kind of bad, bad movies. Now, wait. You said this is the second sure. voicemail that she had. She didn't like the <laughs> don't first bust one. Don't bust her on that. Uh, <laughs> this is the last time I tell you anything. Not, well, you know what? Here's the thing. I'm still thrown off by, you know, we have we have voicemails from listeners that are, like, polite and nice and, mm. you know. Wait for it. Oh, okay. Well, here we got Nenemlas coming up right now. You know, my signal's not very well, and I'm not sure if I should be calling this one in. Because it's gonna take a little bit. You fucking assholes! What the fuck is your goddamn problem? You have two fucking shows where they don't have a then, it's just fucking now, except for maybe a brief their interlude when it first came out, just before fucking 2000, but you won't do a fucking Arnold show? What the fuck, you goddamn assholes? I am putting up a fucking stand. I have not listened to Pokemon. I will not listen to another fucking show of yours until you fucking give the governor some goddamn justice. I'm fucking pissed. You guys are my favorite fucking show. But this is bullshit. This is beyond fucking Pat. Fuck it. If you want to get the Pat, fucking whatever the hell prisoner is, fucking wait, make that the fucking end. I don't know what that is. I don't fucking care. But I think I deserve after a hundred fucking episodes, you come <laughs> all fucking time. God damn it. I think you may have struck a nerve. Censored him. <laughs> oh my god. His connection's like, okay, this dude needs to chill for a second. We're we're out. Well, since you're obviously not gonna hear this, you know. Oh my Jesus, that was awesome. <laughs> that was the thing is at, at first I was like, geez, he's pretty mad. Maybe we shouldn't play this. Wait a minute. No, we absolutely should play this. <laughs> oh, oh my god. god. Oh. I can't help but agree with him, but I I obviously will not state so. Well, everything is back to normal now. Uh, uh, so yes. Wow, so- I've never I've I've known Denim Lost for about a decade now and I've never heard him that angry. And that's a legitimate <laughs> statement. <laughs> and his whole thing is being angry on the phone. Uh, I mean, it only makes sense. I mean, it's a perfect topic, but you guys are just being obstinate. See, no, I, I just heard blah, blah, blah. You're my favorite fucking show. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> I've listened well, to all 154 episodes. Blah, blah, blah. 
Yeah, very I mean, selective I keep here. Debating whether do we mention that we're doing the second Cameron Diaz show? I mean, <laughs> oh, man found with his throat slit in an alley. <laughs> Good God! Uh, and then we're doing the Dolph Lundgren show. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea, Pat. We should change out next week's show and do Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> I would love to watch I Come in Peace again. Oh my God! Wow. Uh, we also have a little bit of feedback on the old Twitter. Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, there was uh, both uh, an immediate recognize uh, of Belinda Carlisle from last week's show, from uh, Randall Holt, and then uh, Nikki from New Zealand is like, I have no idea who that is. <laughs> what? Uh, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> what, a, what a sad life they have down there. They have Vegemite and beetroot and no Belinda Carlisle. And uh, let's see. Uh, <laughs> Randall Holt also uh, wanted to thank us for playing that clip of his all-time favorite Taylor Swift song, which I haven't heard the final edit, so I, I don't get that. But I, you're welcome. Yes, M- maybe Mike gets that. Uh, he also says, "Also, I've only made it to Whitney Houston on this episode, uh, but uh, you guys are cracking me up. Funny. What did you end up using for the Taylor Swift song, Mike? Did you did you have the kids sing?" No, I had nothing. Oh, you just left it blank? <laughs> just left about three seconds of silence. <laughs> and for the, st- the stinger was po- was possibly one of the funniest things that off off uh, off show was uh, Joel doing um, Mambo Number no. 5 from uh, Just Dance. I, have to uh, to I haven't listened to it yet. So. And then the uh, last uh, thing, uh, once more from Randall Holt. Oh, says, I don't remember this at all, but it looks fantastic. And then he posted a picture of fucking dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> How can you not love spacefaring dinosaurs? With laser guns. Yeah, man. It's like it's like uh, Firefly with dinosaurs. Kind of. <laughs> it's all canceled. Right. So, yeah, very similar. Aw. No, <laughs> Too soon. I'm sad. I think it's about that time. It is about that time. This week in music, movies, and TV. That's what. The hell was that? <laughs> was that an, was that supposed to be ET? I, it's hard to hear myself decent. too. It wasn't horrible. It was Woody Allen doing ET. <laughs> Sounded like Woody Allen doing Phyllis Diller doing E.T. Ooh, I'd watch that video. <laughs> Woody Allen doing Phyllis Diller? Yeah, no. That's a lot of folds. <laughs> Which one is E.T.? I don't get it. <laughs> All right. This weekend, June 11th, 1982, which I'm assuming is the release of E.T. Correct. Yes. Uh, the number one song in the land is Ebony and Ivory by Cyril Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder. Great song. Stupid, horrible. I was waiting for it. (laughs) I love both of those. They're like two of my top ten favorite artists of all time, and that song is garbage. You got a lot of anger, man. (laughs) I I just think he wants Paul McCartney all to himself, because every time Paul McCartney collaborates with somebody, (laughs) Pat hates it. Unless it's John Lennon. (laughs) Why can't you be mine, Sir Paul? (laughs) <laughs> Alright, so albums released this week include Eye of the Tiger by Survivor Metal Massacre Is that a compilation disc? Yeah uh, And Abracadabra by Steve Miller 
Oh. Come on, Pat, tell me what you think about Abracadabra. It's just more proof of my theory, that's all. I've told you guys that. Magic is an illusion? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And uh, June 7th at the 16th Music City News Country Awards. It's a terrible name for an award show. Right? That's why they changed it to the CMAs. Oh, okay. Oh, is that what that was? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Marty Robbins and Barbara Mandrell win the top awards. Uh, Also, Simon and Garfunkel perform in Rotterdam, Holland, on June 12th at Feyenoord Stadium. 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 I'm sure that's like whatever the the Dutch word is for stadium. That's really unoriginal. They just changed the M to an N. Stadion? And the we just to... changed it. Yeah. Nice. And then uh, James Honeyman Scott was an English rock guitarist, songwriter, and founding member of the band The Pretenders, who had a reputation as one of the most original and versatile guitarists of the early 80s. The song 2,000 Miles was written for him by Chrissy Hind and released a year after his death. Which occurred um, on June, I think it was 14th. Oh. Cocaine overdose. Oh. I forgot to type that in there. Any time you start up with their name first, so-and-so-and-so was a so-and-so. That's a giveaway, usually. Yeah. (laughs) Especially if it's someone we wouldn't have, like, ordinarily heard of. Yeah. Here comes the death. All right. (laughs) So, movies released this week include E.T., which immediately took over the number one spot, Poltergeist, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and Grease II. Khan! Those are four really good out of five movies. <laughs> uh, John it's a, William... It's actually only four movies. So. One, two, three... Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, Wrath Khan was awesome. But Grease 2 was Michelle Pfeiffer's uh, debut. Yeah, still... Yep. So at least it gave us that. Michelle Pfeiffer lucky le- she's still pants. working. <laughs> All right, John Williams Cheever was an American novelist and short story. Oh no, he's gonna die. <laughs> here, I'm sure here it comes. Um God damn it, where was I? I was at Cheever. Uh was an American novelist and short story writer, perhaps best remembered for his short stories, including The Enormous Radio, Goodbye My Brother, Five Forty Eight, The Country Husband, and The Swimmer. He also wrote four novels comprising the Wapshot Chronicle, The Wapshot oh. Scandal Bullet Park, Falconer, and a novella, which is the acronym of the week and makes probably just as much sense as the rest of this, uh, O-W-A-P-I-S. Yeah, he went a different direction with this one. It's uh, Oliver Wants a Penis in Sandals. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a piss. Oliver is always so specific about his penises. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) Must be wearing sandals. (laughs) No, that is, oh, what a paradise it seems. Oh. Yeah, you were close. Birkenkocks? <laughs> nice. No. That was funny, Joel. I like that. I like it. Birkenkocks. Um, now I'm drawing a penis foot. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, and this John guy. Cheever, I always think of Seinfeld because uh, of the Falconer. Yeah. And anyway, sorry. What? Well, he's dead. Heart attack, June 15th. Yes. Yep. yep. Once again, a giveaway. Yeah. <laughs> the top shows, one of these is like, Josh Brown was, oh, no! <laughs> Don't Thank- finish reading that! <laughs> Thank God we've heard of me. <laughs> the top shows are 60 Minutes, Dallas, Magnum P.I., and MASH. Uh, Taxi shows its last episode on ABC on June 10th and moves to NBC for the next season. 
Huh. I didn't know it switched networks. Huh. That's actually pretty cool. I'm glad it wasn't canceled. That's a great show. Yes. Love that show. Reverend Jim is one of the best things nice. ever. Louis also. I used to watch that. I mean, that was the introduction of Danny DeVito to the world. So. Yeah. True. And it seems like he was just warming up for uh, Always Sunny. <laughs> and his rum He's Warming hand. up for life with Rhea Perlman. Are you kidding? Those guys, those two have been around, oh, man, forever. Can you imagine what their fights must be like? Imagine what their sex must be like. I was thinking of their sex, but. <laughs> God, which one's E.T.? <laughs> Ouch. Nice. I always I always like his, his penis clothes. I'm not sure how much longer I have on this earth, so spend the last getting real weird with it. <laughs> All right, so sports. God, there's a lot of words there. Good lord. But there's no cricket, unfortunately. Really? Find any cricket for this week. Okay. So uh June sixth at the eighty first French Open, seven time major champion Mats Willander beats Guillermo Villas. <laughs> what? Mats Willander. Fuck you. <laughs> I didn't name him. I mean, yeah. that's his name. You, you well, that's, in... that's, a little, that's a little obscure. That's yeah. a... It's spelled M-A-T-S. Yeah, Mats Vilander. All right. Yeah, the V, the W that's pronounced V is, is a trick. All right. Yep. So anyway, uh, he beat this other guy. <laughs> One to six, seven, six, six, zero, six, I was, four. I, damn it, I was really hoping you were going to pronounce his name because I was going to, Guillermo Villas, I was going to say, no, it's Guillermo. <laughs> <laughs> Guillermo Villas. Chai Chai Rodriguez. <laughs> uh, in the men's division and the women's division, Martina N. beats uh, Andrea Jager, seven, six, six, one. I love the fact that we've given him so much shit about constantly getting Navratilova's name wrong that he just won't even try anymore. Done with that one. Done with that word. All right. On June 7th, L.A. Dodger Steve Garvey is the fifth MLB player to play in a thousand consecutive games going zero to four. O for four. O for four. What what does that mean? That's a zero. He had four at-bats and he didn't get any hits. It's not a a good game. Oh, okay. That was just for the one game. Right, yeah. I thought it was a thousand games. I'm like, why did they keep him on so long? <laughs> no, in he, his thousandth consecutive to... game, he went 0 for 4. Oh. He needs breakfast same restaurant and call it Biscuits and Garvey. I would eat there. Thank you so much for taking the heat off of me. <laughs> so uh, Satchel Page is one of the most well-known players from the old Negro League and one of the few to make the MLB Hall of Fame, who became a legend in his own lifetime by attracting record crowds wherever he pitched. At the age of 42 in 1948, he was the oldest major league rookie while playing for the Cleveland Indians and played with the St. Louis Browns until age 47, representing them in the All-Star Game in 1952 and 53. He was the first player who had played in the Negro Leagues to pitch in the World Series. While his outstanding control as a pitcher first got him noticed, it was his infectious, cocky, enthusiastic personality and his love for the game that made him a star. On tours across the United States, Page would have his infielders sit down behind him and then routinely strike out the side. <laughs> he would bring him in. <laughs> oh, yeah, he didn't even bring him in. He yeah. said, sit down. Sit down. <laughs> you won't be needed. Yeah. Don't worry about it. I got this one. Uh, he played his last professional game on June 21st, 1966 for the Peninsula Grays of the Carolina League at the age of 60. He couldn't strike out death, however, and on June 8th of this week, when his heart heart attacked him. That's three deaths in one. 
Yeah. Well, and I gotta it, lie. it started with the name, but I knew who he was, so I thought he was going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even imagine how. I mean, can you imagine being the the guy at bat, and he turns around, and just tells him to sit down, and just like, oh shit. <laughs> Uh, so on uh, June 8th, the 36th, 36th NBA championship, the L.A. Lakers beat the Philadelphia 676ers four games to two. So there you go. There's the sports. Uh, all right. So, E.T., how many of us have... Elliot. Elliot. How many of us uh, saw this in the theater? I did. I did. I will finish. I, I will finish this half of the show with a story about seeing this in the theater, actually. I'm gonna... Oh, very good. I actually saw this at a oh. drive-thru. Really? Recently or back then? You were at a drive-thru? Like McDonald's? Uh, I'm at a drive-in. <laughs> yes, I saw it while watching, while, while ordering hamburgers. <laughs> he, I just, he just saw it like like two minutes at a time. He had to keep going in circles. He <laughs> got E.T. in his Happy Meal. <laughs> yeah, no, this uh, originally, the first time I saw it was a drive-in movie. Really? That's pretty cool. Yeah. Whereabouts? Uh, outside of Berwyn, I want to say. Okay. Cool. Oh, yeah. I, I've been to that drive-thru before. Yeah. <laughs> it was one of the few drive-ins that was still open uh, when we were in college, and it closed a couple years after uh, we left college. Yeah, so, I, yeah, I went on a couple dates there. Oh, very nice. So I think I remember seeing <laughs> this at, I think, I want to say at uh, Yorktown, Yorktown Mall Theater. Years and years ago, Joel Theater. Or see it on. I, I don't remember which theater it was on, but I, at, but I do remember seeing it uh, in Kansas City. So yeah. when it was out. Well, ET. If you're not familiar with it, which I fear not, the two of you that aren't, um, directed by right. a guy named Steven Spielberg. Who? Exactly. So it really was early yeah. on in his career. Was just, this was right after. Um, he had finished up. Uh, no, actually, no. Yeah, it was that kind of. It was right after Raiders. He was bored after doing Raiders, and then he came up with ET, which is loosely based on a imaginary friend that he had when he was a kid, and when he that uh, eventually like morphed into this story. So he had a invisible friend that helped him with his parents not being, his dad not being around and that sort of thing. He actually commented that E.T. in his This Invisible Friend was his the brother and the father that he never had. Which is kind of sad. Elliot, I'm going to get cigarettes. I'll be back. <laughs> All right. Written by Melissa Matheson, known for uh, some other stuff like uh, the BFG. She wrote that. It's Twilight Zone, the movie. She had some stuff in there. Uh, Black Stallion screenplay from 79. And Indian is a couple. She wrote a lot of stuff for him oh yeah well it went through i mean it was almost from what from what i read when they looked at the first script spielberg was pretty much it's perfect the way it is then they added in a couple other things uh a couple of things to it but for the most part it's pretty it was exactly what you see not a lot of rewrites on this one so uh this was cast d wallace as mary mom Henry Thomas as the hero Elliot, Peter Coyote as Keys, Robert McNaughton as Michael, Drew Barrymore as Gertie, Casey Martell as Greg, Sean Fry as Steve, C. Thomas Howell as Tyler, and uh, Erica Elenick as Pretty Girl. 
Oh, that was the girl from the uh, from the frog thing. Yeah, that, yeah, that uh, Elliot kissed. ends up kissing. Yeah, yeah. And the voice of E.T. was done by like a sixty-seven-year-old chain-smoking woman. Huh. And they yeah. had Paul Malls. No, it, it's it's true. I, I'm trying to find her name. Why is E.T.'s name not on? <laughs> oh, Pat Welsh. Max was, mom. <laughs> yeah, she um, she did the voice of Bo. Boshish, B-O-U-S-H-H, from Return oh, of the Jedi. Oh, yeah. Bush. Yeah, she did his voice, and she did E.T. Uh, apparently, she's a two-pack-a-day smoker for her entire life. They heard her voice and cast her as E.T.'s voice. So, that's kind of Did weird. she do all the voices for Bush? Bush? Or whatever it's called? So, she did the full Bush? Oh, jeez, dude. Bush? <sighs> all right. What's me? Wasn't me. I know. I <laughs> totally agree with you there. So yeah, um, some of the things that we found out about this: uh, the end of the film was one of the most significant musical experiences for John Williams, a composer. Uh, after several attempts were made to match the score to the film, Spielberg took the film off the screen and encouraged Williams to conduct the orchestra the way he would at a concert. He did, and Spielberg slightly re-edited the film to match the music, which was unusual since normally it goes the other way around. Uh, the result was Williams winning the 1982 Academy Award for Best Original Score. He recreated this at his last appearance with the L.A. Philharmonic at the Hollywood Bowl in 2013, uh, conducting the orchestra live while the last reel was shown on Jumbotron screens. Hmm. This is, this is also one of the most recognizable themes out there. Everyone knows that. True. Yes. Uh, most of the full-body puppetry of E.T. was performed by uh, actually two midget stuntmen, two-foot-tall stuntmen, but the scenes in the kitchen were done by using a 12-year-old boy who was born without legs but was an expert on moving on his hands. Huh. Yeah. So, yeah, anytime he was moving around, like, that was, uh, that was a 12-year-old kid with no legs. Uh, he also shot most of the film at the eye level of a child to further connect with uh, Elliot and E.T., which is why in the first half of the movie you don't see any adults from the waist up. You really don't see any adult faces for the entire first half of the movie. And uh, Spielberg's... Except for the mother. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, the mom makes sense, though, because every kid knows their mom's face. Right, yeah. yeah. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, that's true. So uh, Spielberg also stated in an interview that E.T. was a plant-like creature and neither male nor female. Uh, when it was test screened at the Cannes Film Festival as an unofficial entry, it brought the house down, receiving a standing ovation that had eluded most of the official entries. That's pretty badass, especially considering that now Cannes is like known for just like these crazy off the path indie films, mm-hmm. and a Spielberg led sci fi blockbuster <clears throat> would not like make it there. No. So, like Cartman's film about gay cowboys eating pudding. Yes, that's exactly it. Hit, hit the nail <laughs> right the on the head there, Joel. That's exactly what we're talking about. Way to root through Josh's point and find the nugget that he was going for. Yeah. So, um, mm, drive through nugget. <laughs> in the Halloween scene where E.T. sees a child in a Yoda costume and seems to recognize him suggests that they're from the same galaxy. In episode one, the Galactic Senate scene where all the senators are on their feet shouting, you can see in the lower right hand corner the E.T. species among the Senate pods. Yeah, that was the answer to a question on Instant Game Show in a new game this year. Yeah. Really? Nice. Yeah. So I've always loved that little nugget of trivia. 
Uh, one point during the filming, Drew Barrymore was consistently forgetting her lines, annoying Steven Spielberg to the point where he actually yelled at her. He later found out that she had reported to work with a very high fever. Feeling guilty, he hugged her, apologized repeatedly as she cried and cried and cried, and then he sent her home with a note from her director. Uh, eventually, he became her godfather. Yep. Yeah, I remember that because there was a bit of trivia when she, as an adult, uh, posed for Playboy. Uh, he sent her a quilt, a note that said, cover yourself up. And his art team had taken the issue of Playboy and edited all the pictures to put clothes back on her. Yep, that is true. He made her an offer she couldn't refuse. <clears throat> you do know that wasn't Spielberg. It can't right? all be a winner. Or any, apparently. No, he said it, <laughs> he said it was his, his. It was his godfather, her godfather. All right. Uh, some of the other trivia that I had found. They shot this. This now. This is very rare for happening in a in a film that they shot the film in chronological order. Really? Yeah. Because Spielberg wanted to, because since he had so many kids on the sh- in the in the uh, in the in the um, God in the cast. He wanted to work with them and have them slowly build their relationship with E.T. as they would normally. Instead of like doing this part and changing the way they feel, now doing this part, he did the entire movie uh, chronologically, which was pretty cool. Makes sense when like the majority of your cast is under 10 years old. Yeah. Well, he also, I mean, he did lots of other things to make the, um, to make it seem authentic. Like all the uh, government agents that were in Elliot's house. Those were actually volunteer med students that came in to to act on that because he wanted them to be actually be saying like le- legit medical stuff and not just you know scripted BS. Huh. So <clears throat> yeah, a lot of love went into this movie. I mean, he really, really had you know really had a thing for this. I mean, and like I said, this was actually originally started out as a movie called Dark Skies. It was a first conception of it which is a little bit different uh and was more actually was exactly the opposite it was a family in the middle of the wilderness camping being terrorized by uh, extraterrestrials so that got kind of turned around out yeah and then turned into this <laughs> the et's have a eyes. whole other connotation on it yeah there also was Ooh. there was supposed to be for a brief moment a um a sequel Huh? Yeah, where uh, aliens? They, this and they believe this is actually the plot. Aliens were came to Earth, captured Elliot, and ET had to come to the rescue by breaking all the laws on his planet to rescue his friend Elliot. And then Spielberg went, "That's the stupidest goddamn thing I've ever heard in my life." Um, yeah, thank God that didn't happen. Well, he actually was not like, to mention that the title ET Two is kind of dumb. Yeah, it was like ET the Green uh, the the Green Planet or something like that. It was some goofy thing but his actual reasoning on it was that it, if you were to make a sequel to this the innocence of the first movie would be lost by it it, it has to stand on its own yeah i mean that'd be like bringing harrison ford back when he's decrepit and then putting aliens in another indiana joe oh, i'm sad now oh. there were no refrigerators in this good thing they never made oh, that movie Woo. yeah that would be a tragedy yeah crystal skulls I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you know what it was? They asked a certain guy if he wanted to, they wanted to make the movie, and he was like, do it! Sorry, I thought that was funny. Joel, you're rubbing off on me. Joel, you're rubbing off on me. I did on Gen Con. At Gen Con. Oh. 
All right, so E.T. While you were sleeping. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, yeah. So this this is one of the big classics, and uh, it was one that because there hadn't really been a now, we hadn't had the opportunity to talk about it. But let's do that. Okay. Remember seeing it in the theater and just being completely blown away by it. Um, it was I probably was around 10, 11 years old, exactly the age that I should have been to CET, completely identifying with Elliot. Well, uh, shit. I mean, what kid didn't want to have an alien best friend? Oh, I know. I mean, how how cool is that? You know, I mean. Oh, you know what? You know one thing we that everybody knows that we forgot to mention before going on. Eminem, great call on that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> no, we don't. We don't. That's too much money. We don't want to pay that much. No, money. you know what it was? Is like they they were like they thought that uh, E. T. was too scary and it would would scare people away from their their candies, and that's why they didn't want to have it in there. Well, that was the ultimate reason. Yeah, oh, that's funny. Oh, that's too scary. I'm Speak- like, go ahead. I was going to say, speaking of, of the Reese's Pieces thing, that scene in the forest where the uh, the agents are searching around for him, and the what you don't see the guy's face. You just see his hand reach down, and there's like the little pile of leaves, and there's Reese's Pieces there. Mm-hmm. And he eats one. Why? <laughs> I mean, for all we know, that E.T. pooped him out. That's a good point. And the guy just like grabs it and he's like, oh, well, that's keys. He know keys. Okay. That's the other thing about keys. One, you never know his name. And two, there is a theory that keys is actually the boy from, uh, close encounters. Interesting. That keys grew up to become this, uh, to become this guy who, because he comments that he hasn't seen, uh, an alien since he was 10, which would be right about the same time that the boy was around in, uh, uh, close encounters, but the the problem is if you go by the timeline of what the time was for close encounters to now, it really doesn't match up. That enough That's, time hadn't passed. That explains why ET looked like Richard Dreyfus so much. <laughs> Couldn't figure that out. There's a lot of stuff in the storytelling here that I appreciate. Uh, how movie making in the '80s is different from now, where they just tell you what happened and leave you to work out why. Instead of every single little plot point being explained to you as if you're a toddler who otherwise won't understand or appreciate the movie, I like one of the things that I noticed that you're saying now that you're saying that was um, early on when all the the guys were looking for him with the flashlights right after the ship took off. You know, they, they go after him, and then suddenly in the next scene, you just see he's just you know he's escaped them. You're like it doesn't matter how it just he just did you know, whatever mm-hmm. you know. I it's missed not that. Really integral to, it's not really integral to the story. He yeah. just did escape them. You know? He got away. That's all you need yeah. to know. Well, and a lot of people are like, why at the end do the guys bust in in full spacesuits when they obviously have access to hazmat suits? Well, if you just think about it a little bit, there that pretty much implies that the government has run into extraterrestrials before and they wanted to appear to him in a form that he would recognize because the last time he would have seen them, they would have been in space, dressed like that. Nice. I did not come. That didn't come to mind. I just assumed they were really high tech uh, hazmat suits. Well, yeah. If you take a good look at them, they've got like the American flag on them. Like they're straight up NASA astronaut oh, okay. suits. Cool. And it could. I mean, if you want to go even further into it, it could be like they, that's the official agreement they have is they have to be in a suit like that when they meet or something. Who knows? Yeah. And it's I miss storytelling like that. I miss storytelling where you you have to figure it out for yourself, where you're not 
you know, uh, uh, basal exposition doesn't show up and start telling you exactly what's going on every every scene. Oh, sure. Well, yeah, I mean, I've been bitching about that for 154 episodes. We go all the way back to us talking about Conan, and I was so angry in the new Conan the Barbarian that they had to spend 20 minutes telling us how Conan got his sword. Yeah. Well, that, that actually ties in with one of my favorite scenes that I didn't remember from the first time I saw it that is exactly what you're talking about, where all the aliens are still on the earth before the men show up, and they're all wandering out in the field, and they hear a noise, and all of their little middle sections light up, and they stop like a deer in headlights, and then as soon as they you know are comfortable again, the lights go out, and they start waddling again around in the field. And they don't tell you what that is until later on. And even then, they don't really give a solid explanation. But, you know, they all are interlinked and communicating with each other. And that scene, I just love it. I don't know what well, it was. It's one, of the, about- it, it, it's one of the, you know, the, the main tenets of good storytelling. It's it's show, don't tell. Like, right. Just just that little scene right there just tells you so much about them as a society, as creatures, as, you know. All that kind of stuff. Like, you automatically know they're, they're, they're peaceful because they didn't, like, you know, go to a get into attack mode that kind of stuff you know right. I mean, it's it's a great opening scene and this is almost like on almost... et's planet this movie is like home alone <laughs> yeah <laughs> kevin well they're like they're sentient but they're like predatory creatures like are you know prey you know they're the prey of the predators not the predators wow that'd be a hell of a movie well anyway. they could be just not much of a movie <laughs> <laughs> right ouch you hear that <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know why E.T. turned into Mole Man, but... <laughs> My brain. I was saying booers. <laughs> so, but no, I mean, this. the thing is with this story, all the way down to, you know, the, the bicycle flying in the air scene, this entire story caters to a kid's imagination. I have a confession to make. Are you really a woman? Ooh. No. What is you it? You are booers. I... <laughs> I forgot Michael was a character. The older brother? I, yes. Like, I remembered Gertie, and I remembered Elliot, but uh, we get to the beginning, and I'm like, who the fuck are these kids? <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, there was the D&D game at the beginning. He must have had an older brother. I'd completely forgotten about the existence of the third kid. Well, he's just so poorly written. Well, I mean, I... No, I, I don't. I don't mean like 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 two dimensional. I just mean like he doesn't have much to do in the story. He doesn't advance hardly anything. Well, but he changes. He goes. He goes from being the older brother teasing Gertie and Elliot to in the second half becoming the protector. Yeah. So I mean, he has he has a change where he's you know he's the guy, you know, getting his buddies together to run distraction on the. Uh, you know, on the government agents that are driving around, not with walkie-talkies, they're carrying guns. <laughs> but I mean, the ult- ultimately, the story is about Elliot mostly and Gertie and their relationship with with ET than it is about Matt and his relationship with ET. He's and just kind of the- there to be a, a helpful plot mover alonger. Well, and what the hell was wrong with parents in '82? She left her son Elliot home alone from school, sick. Well, and she, how she, old was she? he? Left- she she left um she left Gertie at home. Yeah, she left Gertie at home to go get the, the kid from school. I was like, oh my! She's like, I'm only going to be on ten minutes. I was like, well, it's right. going to take her eight to break her arm. <laughs> yeah, it's her and the dog. This can't end well. Well, that's I don't know. That's a kind of a different time thing. 
too. Right. Well, that's what that's what he said at the beginning. Yeah, it's like funny to compare how they did it back then. But well, look what D. Wallace. You know, I mean, she had a dog that had rabies, so or whatever the hell. Anyway, moving on. What? Another movie. Don't worry about it. Oh, okay. Stephen King. <laughs> yeah. Cujo. Mm. Ah, okay. I never. Really oh, I effectively killed that. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> we we were dangerously close to having a good conversation there. Thanks for saving that. <laughs> yep. That's why we keep you around, Joel. And just in case we start actually making a point, you're there to. I'm also gonna say I like I like uh, Peter Coyote. <laughs> <laughs> and just like that, he's back. Yeah. Uh, you were saying, Mike? I like Peter Coyote as keys. Yeah, I mean, he was a character that uh, almost didn't seem to get enough screen time. I know in a modern retelling, they'd constantly be cutting back to him so he could explain to us all of, like, the E.T. racist characteristics, and I'd hate him. Mm-hmm. But, it'd like, be, there has to be, like, a, a bad version of Troutman. Yeah. Do you know why they call him uh, Keys? Because he had no. keys hanging off of his belt. Yep, that's exactly it. Huh. His first scene, you see the and, you big know, the old thing- key ring. The thing about him is that he, in today's modern story, would be the character that you hated. Even though he wasn't necessarily a good guy, he wasn't a bad guy either. Um, even he when he was doing his job, really. Right, and he was he was Follow interested in man. it. Sorry, he was interested in it from a childlike perspective, just like Elliot was. And even after they caught ET, he wasn't out there to try and dissect him and hurt him. He was trying to save him and was fascinated by him and was just as curious. Uh, outside of when they got the guns and started chasing him, even then at the end, he was, he was like he was a still... much more intense Molder. Yeah, huh? I think that's a pretty good uh, take on him. He was kind of the true believer, and he was kind of caught in a spot where the government has decided what they're going to do with him. But he's trying to limit the damage to the creature itself. He doesn't want to be cruel. He doesn't want to see it hurt. He doesn't want to see ET die. No, I mean, and to he... the family. Yeah, he and that's the thing is like he's he's a guy in charge of a bunch of people like you said Josh they're just they're doing their job. These guys these in the suits, they have a thing they have to do. He unfortunately is the guy who has to walk in first. He's not happy about it because he would much rather sit down and figure out what's wrong with ED and all that, but I mean I I wish there had been chronologically more time between close encounters than this because to make him make keys actually be that kid would make so much sense you make a really interesting point about the agents and i kind of want to address it because we touched on it a second ago a lot of people uh especially uh guys our age geeks who are into this movie and remember it uh threw their fists up in the air when the guns were replaced with walkie-talkies and i agree that writing like rewriting history probably shouldn't have been done but what exactly was their game plan with the guns? Are they going to shoot down the kids? As far as they know, the alien's dead. So, so yeah, what's their end that, game here? I thought the same I mean, they thing. Had, they when had to I have saw. guns in case the kids were black. Oh motherfucker! Whoa. Ouch! God <laughs> damn it! Every time we start going down a great conversation, <laughs> what the hell? All right. I I had the same question when I watched it too. I'm sorry. <laughs> what about you, Mike? I never really considered the guns. I never really thought about. I mean, I of course they had guns. They're agents. 
right? I mean, bad guys always have guns. That's the way it's always. Played. Yeah, I th- yeah, I think that was partially it for me. Is that it was the acknowledgement that these are bad guys. They obviously are bad guys because they have guns. They're chasing down kids with guns. They're definitely the bad guys. I think that was just more of a uh, one more uh, tag on them. You know, faceless minions chasing down the kids. So just so kind of where they once had walkie talkies, Geek Squad. <laughs> yeah, then they're like, we're going to need to defrag the drive. We're here to drive. fix your laptop. <laughs> Wait, they didn't have laptops back then. So uh, they Their were iPad kind of a they were kind of a trope, is what you're saying at that yeah. point. They're just no, hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't that they were any they they were specifically they were stormtroopers, for lack of yeah, a better. Yeah, much at that point. Yeah. Yeah. They they they're the faceless face- minions of evil coming to get us. Right. That's that's my take on it. Is that they were they were just like just like we said they they have to have guns because they're the bad guys, and whether or not they use them, whether or not any of them would pull the trigger on it is irrelevant. Because and there's also the there's, I'm sorry to interrupt. There's also the factor that you know they are dealing with aliens. You never know what the hell you know. I mean we don't we don't know and you know how much they know about this particular alien culture they're coming after. Right. They don't know if you know maybe death is something different for them. Maybe this thing's going to come back resurrected yeah. as an as a for all Xenomorph. they know, you know, E.T. could have grown a 30-foot cock and started spitting fire out of it. Well, yeah, that's one way to go with it, too. <laughs> that's quite the conclusion to jump to, but sure. <laughs> Very specific. That's why Mike doesn't write scripts. Yep. Is there a sandal e. involved? There's no <laughs> loads. Oh, that's funny. Uh, so, let's e. go over the major... Low loads. I'll wait. What were you gonna say? You're going for major you were, plot points? You were yeah, so. Let's, let's hit the major story beats. I mean, I'm wondering who the guy we had on the show last week was, because it's not this guy. <laughs> oh shit! So you've got the opening scene that kind of establishes the family. Kid brother's trying to get in on the D and D game. He hears a noise outside, and. uh uh, goes after the alien that we saw in the very like pre-credit scene. We know that there's an alien who escaped from faceless government agents. So we know what the creature he's seeing uh, or not quite seeing is, but uh obviously he doesn't and his family doesn't believe him. And honestly though, how well done is that again to go back to it that that pre-credit scene where I mean it's such a good job with 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 very little actually done to to communicate just how lonely and sad it would be to be left on another planet <laughs> i mean you immediately <clears throat> you know are, are empathetic you know you feel empathy for this you know creature that's left behind as he just stands there kind of screaming to himself as he watches the ship fly away he's like ah! oh shit <laughs> well and they also set it up so that in the scenes to follow where he's out looking out in the shed you're not freaked out because it's pretty Scary storytelling at that point. Oh my god! Yeah, no, I'm gonna hear pa- I'm gonna hear ET in that voice for the rest. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, <laughs> if they ever remake this, they should they should have cast me as ET's voice. <laughs> it would be great. <laughs> oh yeah, shit! I don't know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> so D- didn't they already do that with Simon Pegg? And- <laughs> Just saying, Paul, which I have in my collection of movies. <laughs> yes, say, they, they kind of already did that, Pat. True. So, yeah, so ET's uh, out in the. And out they in didn't the shed. even call me. <laughs> ET's in the shed. 
<laughs> that scene when he throws the baseball in there and it rolls back out is just such a great scene. <laughs> and through the beginning, we've said it time and time again about the practical effects, how they hold up over the years. In general, until you get to some of the green screen work at the end and the matte painting, which is starting to show its age a little bit, a lot of the practical effects totally held up as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah. I yeah. agree. I mean, and that's that's the 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 greatness of Steven Spielberg is because, you know, he wants to make this look real. He's just not like, well, let's just, you know, throw a paper bag on it and light it on fire. There we go. We have a we have a spaceship. I don't and he and Lucas have always been at the forefront of special effects. Yeah, it's not surprising that they I agree. So we go through the eventual meeting. Uh, Elliot lures E.T. into his bedroom with candy, which is not creepy at all. <laughs> and uh, eventually That's finds, where I learned it. finds a way to communicate with him and introduce him to his siblings. And you have the awesome scene where he's got Michael all set and they're like admiring how cool it is. And they've got this solemn promise to never uh, tell anybody about it. And then Gertie busts in the room without knocking and everyone's screaming. <laughs> that that is everybody loses their shit. <laughs> that is one of the best scenes of that movie. And and the best part about it is that brief moment of pause right before she loses it too. <laughs> yeah, that little half beat that yeah, sets a little up like, the whole thing. Yeah. So but no uh, and to say Gertie is probably one of my favorite kid characters ever. Yeah. She's adorable. I taught him to talk. <laughs> so, yeah, in general, we as we move into the next act, there's a lot of stuff I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten about the weird connection between E.T. and Elliot, where E.T. starts cracking beers and uh, throwing food at the dog. <laughs> Elliot, gets drunk. <laughs> when, Elliot gets drunk and starts letting fr- uh, frogs go. Yeah, and again, one of the, uh, I mean, this is the other thing. It's like one great scene right after the other. They they meet Gertie, everyone flips their shit, he goes to school, E.T. gets the beers when his mom opens up the refrigerator door and whacks E.T. in the head, <laughs> and you just hear him fall over. I want you to be my friend. I think you just killed him. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing, is we were talking about this a little bit before the show, and I really like that scene, but Pat, yeah, you wanted to say something about it. Well, no, I just talking about it just doesn't make sense how she's so oblivious during that scene. It's just so obviously written f- to be comedic more than anything. Because th- you have the scene earlier where she hears a thump and investigates and you know goes all the way <clears throat> into the closet. And we have that funny scene where they pan over all the stuffed animals. Yeah. Um, you know, so, I mean, this is not a woman that is oblivious. And, and you know, things are happening all around her all the time and she doesn't see. So that scene... It, it was it was a good scene. It's funny, you know, comedically and 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 just you know cinematically, it's good. But I mean, it just doesn't met, match the narrative that they have for the mother. See, but that's the thing; it does. You're looking at see, you're looking at the scene from a mother's point of view, where she would notice. I mean, you go in the house; the kid is there. You notice everything going on. I have kids. You have to notice everything that's going on. But how many times when you were a kid, you wanted to show your parents something? Mom, look. Mom, look. Mom, look. Mom, look, and she's busy doing something. She never actually looks. What you're seeing is that scene from Gertie's point of view. Right. And it's a different situation where she's not on high alert mode. She's in overwhelmed mode. Right. She's paying attention to what's going on with Elliot, why the kitchen is a mess, and Gertie's in her face yelling. She doesn't give a shit what Gertie has to say, and she's kind of actively tuning it out. Yeah, so it, you're seeing that. Or the fact scene. that all the beers are gone. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess. I mean, she is kind of distracted, so maybe. Well, I mean, yeah, but uh, like All I right. said, I, that's my theory: is that you're seeing that whole scene from Gertie's point of view. Is that, mom, look, mom, look, mom, look, mom. Now you killed him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll allow it. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> <laughs> so we have that great scene where uh, Et gets Et gets loaded, watches the uh, the Quiet Man, and they pull the John Wayne Catherine O'Hara kiss scene on the girl that uh, is in the class with him. And then he winds the, up the, the future playmate Erica yeah. oh. and uh, she Baywatch. also be on Baywatch. Yep, oh. and Under Siege. Yep, that's Erica Under Siege. The little known Boobies. facts: Harrison Ford was supposed to be in this movie. Uh huh. As, as the, the pretty girl? No, as, yeah. as as that's what I was going to say. Sexy, sexy, pretty girl. Uh, <laughs> no, as the principal. So the next scene after he gets taken out of class for setting all the frogs loose was supposed to be. Elliot talking to Principal Her- Principal Ford, who's warning him about the dangers of drug use. Hmm. Prin- Principal Jones? Principal Jones, which they did not do, which is I'm actually kind of good with. Yeah, yeah would have messed... That yeah, sorry. Yeah, it would have messed with the flow of the film. Well, and yeah, plus... It would have been, been kind of almost like a fourth wall breaking nod, wink at the you know meta joke at the audience kind of thing. Yeah, and it was so... This was so right after... Raiders too, yeah. So, so yeah. So in the meantime, Elliot and ET have formed a bond, and Elliot is now referring to himself as we. Uh, he's also discovered that ET is missing, missing his gut left behind, and that's when he does the cool floaty thing with the balls, showing him that he lives far away, uh, and then gets his gear together and makes a uh, transmitter out of a uh, speaking spell, a record player, and an umbrella. The famous E.T. phone home. Mm-hmm. And a circular saw. Which is, <laughs> which is pretty cool. <laughs> Ouch. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, the circular saw is actually relevant because that is where uh, Elliot cuts his finger. And we get that. Uh, Ouch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, finger- the, the very he- first time we find out about the healing powers of these extraterrestrials. Right. Well, and that's why the whole... Um, communication system works is that it works on the blood of the innocent so obviously yeah hmm. pat laughed you did yep. it again man i'm just, just imagining like grinding up babies for a machine that's always a good time <laughs> josh you want to pull us out of this hole <laughs> <laughs> please because the well, line that was coming next i cannot say uh, this this is actually the spot where the movie actually takes a little bit of a pacing hit because you have the plan to uh, get E.T. out. you got the big Halloween scene, which is another great set piece. And then you've got the Elliot gets sick, E.T. disappears, and they're both dying for some reason. Yes. It, it is a bit of a, like, okay, it's time to bring in the tear-jerking element, which will uh, set us up for the happy ending. But it is the one thing I, I noted. It was just like, okay, this is kind of a weird narrative beat that just sort of happens. Just like Pat's sex life. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I, they had established that uh, E.T. and Elliot have this connection, and uh, it's not important for us to see exactly how E.T. falls in the river overnight. But that raccoon was watching him. Raccoon's like, I got him. <laughs> it's all good, man. Uh, Don't you get... help. Don't worry. 
you get Michael doing like the only thing he really does of consequence in the film as not like part of an ensemble, which is getting E.T. and rescuing him as he's dying and bringing him home mm-hmm. to set us up for the ending. Right. Cause he brings because he oh, brings E.T. home just as spacemen bust in. Right, because the whole time the government agents have been like scanning all the houses for conversations, which is super fucking shady, by the way. Yeah, driving around. Yeah. Not under the Patriot Act anymore. Yeah. So yeah, they're conducting their domestic surveillance, and then as soon as Mom goes out, uh, they they've got the house wired for sound, basically. Yeah. They may else get freaked out by E.T.'s crying when they separated him and Elliot. Every time he made a panic noise, it was a little unnerving. Yes, agreed. Or when his neck extended. Also, what the hell was Elliot's mom supposed to be for Halloween? Cat. Sexy. With with a wand? Why, why does the cat have a Se- wand? Sexy cat wizard. Sexy oh. cat wizard. <laughs> oh, Obviously. I'll allow it. <laughs> that was a big costume that year. Che- check off that box. Yes. <laughs> Didn't know I had that fetish. <laughs> Bucket list one complete. When she is so alone at home and she just like says California, I just, uh, that was uh, such a thing. Oh, Mexico. You're right. Yeah. She says Mexico. And uh, that's such a plot point. I totally flew over my head when I was a kid. Yep. Poor sad mom. Uh But as an adult, it's like, yeah, that's a a really kind of compelling image of complete loneliness. No, I'm sad. So. Yeah, well, we're in the downer part of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, until uh, you got basically E.T. and Elliot strapped to tables, government agents trying to save them both. They fail. Elliot starts to get better. And then you've got e. the island. starts to turn into dried up dog poo. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've got the I love you, E.T., and everything's better. Well. Which I... Never quite understood that, but it yeah, don't have to explain. Yeah, well, it's there's a, a Huey Lewis song that will explain it to you. I was thinking that. Back in time? That's the power of love. <laughs> I want a new drug? Yeah. I was thinking hip to be square. <laughs> You're all wrong! It's the power of love. So now they have to escape. They, uh... Oh, and uh, okay. one thing I wanted to toss in there, when E.T. comes back and he walks out of, like, that little incubator room that they had where he's got the, the robe over his shoulders and all that. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. He, Vaguely, yeah. Yeah. Well, he comes out of the – people pointed that to be a um, uh, Christ figure. Look, E.T.'s the Christ figure. He's coming out of the – out of this. And Spielberg's response to that was, you know, like, my mom runs a kosher restaurant <laughs> and <laughs> – yeah. Not everything has to be a Christ figure. Well, that was actually that was literally his his reply to that. Yeah. He's like, "Yeah, I'm sure I'd tell my mom who runs a kosher restaurant over in New Jersey, you know, hey, guess what I did." <laughs> so, now they take off on their bikes. Everyone loves a good bike chase. And their bad guys are catching up with their guns and their walkie-talkie guns. <laughs> to which ET decides that they're all going to make a jump for it. And they fly off into the sky in possibly one of the most iconic scenes ever. Were you shooting with a walkie-talkie? <laughs> yes, that's it. Yeah, that silhouette over the moon. Yeah, and now yep. that's that's his um, that's his movie. The movie studio, yeah, his production icon. company, yeah, yeah, his production company's icon now. 
and then pair that as, up. As well it should be, because if the name Steven Spielberg doesn't mean anything to you, he's like, oh yeah, look at my fucking logo. <laughs> so they take off just in time for the aliens to come back to pick up E.T. Key shows up just in time for him to get on and say goodbye, hops on the plane, on plane, and flies away. And we all learn of the power of working for a living. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm glad you caught that, Pat. <laughs> oh, Huey, is there nothing you can't solve? <laughs> so, I don't think so. A round, a round table on this one. Thumbs up, thumbs down on this. Did any I of us pretty much n- think it's a round table? Thumbs up. Yeah. I, if I don't. I don't mean to speak out of turn, but no. yeah, I mean, I was a little afraid that this wasn't going to hold up quite as much. I mean, I don't know, man. The Voltron show shook me. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I mean, that was that was the other thing because that's well, that's an ongoing theme for our for the podcast as, in general. Is hey, remember how cool this was? I sure hope it still is. Yeah, <laughs> did it hold up? And uh, for me, it's a it's an enthusiastic yes. There are things I didn't notice and one or two little criticisms throughout the film. But overall, it's a thumbs up for me. Yeah. Thumbs up here. I mean, they're, they're really, you really just can't, you can't beat good storytelling. And, you know, Steven Spielberg knows how to tell a story. I agree. Thumbs up. All of definitely. All right. Shall we take so, a break? Uh, oh, I do, I, I'm, going to tell you, I'm going to tell a story um, that I think all you guys know, but anybody out there listening um, this is this is my ET story. It's about my grandfather. My grandfather um, was uh, a simple man. Uh, he was a farmer who worked for the Missouri Department of Transportation um, and just steak and potatoes guy. Didn't really do a whole lot for entertainment. Just liked to sit in his chair and watch you know the St. Louis Cardinals play baseball. And they lived up in Missouri, um, in Hannibal, Missouri, to be more specific. And every summer we would go visit them. And this one summer we were there, um, my, my whole family was there, and it was the summer of 82. I was 10 years old, and E.T. was out. And my father decided, you know, it would be a good idea. He got he and his brother got their families together. They lived in Hannibal. And about, I think it was about a dozen of us all went together as a group to go see E.T. in the theater. And, you know, like I said, my grandfather, very... You know, didn't go to the movies. Uh, you know, I mean, this was uh, probably like the third movie he'd ever seen in his entire life. And um, the movie ended, credits roll. We all walk outside. We're standing outside, you know, getting ready to get in our cars. And we're talking, you know, talking about the movie or talking about whatever, talking about where we're going for dinner or whatever. And my grandfather finally pipes pipes up, hasn't said anything since the movie ended. And he just, he just says, you know, I believe that fella was from outer space. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great story. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's a that's a common line in my family now. It's just whenever anything gets really kind of quiet or awkward, someone will just pipe up. I believe that feller was from outer space. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. All right, are we ready to go to the break? Totally. Yep. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk about Stranger Things, where uh, Millie Bobby Brown will save a uh, group of young kids using the power of the heart of rock and roll. <laughs> Shit, I may have watched the wrong thing. <laughs> All right, we'll be back in a little bit. Now I just want to watch American Psycho. Whoa. 
Welcome back. We are back to talk about Stranger Things that uh, just came out on Netflix just a mere like a month ago. That sounds about about right. Yeah. And has been the one of the biggest discussions online and at the water cooler ever. I need to buy a water cooler for my house. Just so you have somewhere to talk? Yeah. You should buy someone to talk to. Then then I'd have to buy employees. (laughs) (laughs) So... Just mill about over here. I'll be down in an hour. All I want you to do is stand around the water cooler, and you come up and shout at you every now and then. Don't you have any work to do? You hired us to stand around the water cooler. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing it, sir. This is what, this is, this. No, just go with it, man. Just go with it. Just say yes, sir. All right, so. Yes, sir. This is a Netflix joint, one of the uh, many Netflix shows that have been showing up once in a while. They really are starting to branch out and make a lot of shit. Oh, yeah. Well, it was said that uh, Netflix had to become HBO before HBO could become Netflix. And I think that right now uh, they are, with all of their original programming, they're in the lead in the transition to be more like the other. Yeah. I I have to agree with that. But um, so we've got – this is directed by the Duffer brothers, Matt and Ross Duffer, uh, known for – known for what? That's what I was wondering. They kept saying that, you know, the title card kept saying the Duffer Brothers, like, I'm supposed to know who they are. They're known I'm... for Hidden. Yeah. And oh. We All Fall Down. Oh, Wayward Pines. I don't know any of those things. Yeah, Wayward Pines is kind of like, um, uh, imagine if um, Twin Peaks had werewolves. Yeah, it is sort it's... of like a mashup of Twin Peaks and The Prisoner with a little bit of World of Darkness thrown in. Yeah. It's M. Night Shyamalan joined... I've... I have very mixed feelings about this now. <laughs> it was all right. Definitely check out a couple of them. See if you dip your toe in the water. You know, see if you like it. Dip my fang in. Hey. Uh, see what I did there? Yeah, I saw. Also, uh, Sean Levy, who is known for such writing and production things, such as The Internship, Not at the Museum, Not at the Museum 2, and Real Steel, which is confusing because this is really good. Well, I, I, it shows that his chops are mostly like coming of age stories with kids. So, I, you know, Wait. I mean, this is probably more serious than what he's used to. Yeah. But in some ways, it's more derivative. I, I mean, I love it, but let's face it, there's uh, scarcely, it, it's a lovely tapestry, but it's made up of unoriginal squares. Mm-hmm. So, well, let's see. We've got the Duffer Brothers on writing credits. Uh, Joel, anybody interesting outside of the Duffer Brothers? Uh, not specifically, no. Okay. Trusting you on that one. Oh, now see? Oh, no, that she played uh, Allison. T- that's kind of weird. We're going to get some rabid fan of Jesse Nixon Lopez be like, how do you not talk about it? Allison Tatlock oh, is the best ever. <laughs> All right, so cut to the series cast. Winona Ryder looking as fine as ever. I don't care. If she looks in a very a hot mess through most of oh, this. Hot mess. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say, I am one thing I'm glad about is Winona Ryder is still just as hot as I remember her being. All the way back going to Edward Scissor. Although hands. she's what? she is really, really dressed down in this. Oh yeah. Really yeah. dressed down. Oh yeah. Um so she plays Joyce Byers, the mom, David Harbour as uh Jim. Have you tried punching it, Hopper? <laughs> <laughs> it's that was uh, I, I'll, okay. I'll talk about it later with that because I watched this with twice. I watched the entire series twice with the girls. 
as a second time. So uh, Finn Wolfhard as Mike Wheeler. Now, is this his what first? A name. I know, right? Uh, Finn Wolfhard. That oh. is not the kid that I would imagine to have that name. He was in an episode of Supernatural, the 100, and then Mike in Stranger Things. So nice little uh, transition there. And he's also going to be Richie in the 2017 version of It. Talk about a plum role, too. Like, oh. Bill Denbro might be the star of It, but everyone remembers Richie Motormouth Tozier. Oh, yeah. And I, if this... I Even the, the pre... Just showing what uh, Pennywise looks like, I'm already peeing myself a little. So, <laughs> <clears throat> Millie Bobby Brown, uh, amazingly uh, showing off acting chops as Eleven, the test child, uh, known for well, she's had some Grey's Anatomy, Modern Family, and NCIS, and also played uh, Madison O'Donnell in Intruders, the TV series. Yeah, I was gonna say that's like her big role. Yeah. So. Not um Yeah, she's going places. But uh She reminds me of Natalie Portman in her in her abilities to emote and act at such a young age. You know, I had <laughs> I hadn't Sorry. considered it, but you're right. Uh, that that's absolutely she's very reminiscent of a young Natalie Portman. Oh yeah. I agree with that. But she shaved her head much earlier than Natalie Portman already. Mm-hmm. She is no Gaten Mar- Matazaro, who plays Dustin. Quite possibly my favorite character in the whole damn show. Oh, yeah. He's Gaiden, to be a fan favorite, yeah. Well, and Gaiden Matazaro had his challenges as an actor because that's the thing is that, that he wasn't wearing prosthetics or anything. And we're going to get to him in the trivia. But, like, mm-hmm. his unusual face and body structure is missing teeth. <clears throat> right. After that, we've got uh, Caleb McLaughlin, who uh, plays Lucas. Known for what else? He's Shades of Blue, Law and Order, stuff like that. Before this, lots Nat- of TV stuff. Yeah, all Nat- of them. Yeah, Natalia Dyer. Uh, again, something called I Believe in Unicorns, and was in Hannah Montana the movie as Nancy Wheeler, Mike's brother or sister. Uh, Charlie <laughs> <laughs> Charlie Heaton, what? Jonathan Byers, the older brother of the missing uh, Byers son. Will, but Will Byers. That kid was impressive. Yeah, he was really good. Kara uh, Buono, Karen Wheeler. Uh, Matthew Modine as Dr. Martin Brenner. Papa. Yeah, he'd be the other uh, anchor. When you're talking about you got these relative unknowns who've had a few TV gigs, and then you've got Winona Ryder and Matthew Modine. Yeah. Matthew and, Mo- and I guess to some extent David Harbour, but he is a character actor who's been in a lot of stuff. He's typically Correct. not a, mm-hmm. a main guy. First thing I think of when I think of Matthew Modine is Pacific Heights. I always think of Vision Quest. Ooh, I forgot about that one. See, because this one was... I was thinking that Doctor movie. What Doctor movie? Gro- Gross Anatomy, was that what it was called? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like I like this one because it was like it would. This was the one. Uh, Pacific Heights was the one that had Michael Keaton as a psychotic upstairs neighbor. Yeah, with that him was messed sit- up. Oh, with him sitting in the chair and letting the cockroaches walk all over him. Oh, don't. don't. Oh, yes. No, and it's not. And it's not like an effect either. My, Michael Keaton actually sat there and let cockroaches walk all over him. Okay, I'm gonna have to be Charlie for a second. Uh oh. Full metal jacket, fuckers. Oh come. Yeah. All right. <laughs> That's a good movie. It's a good movie, but say. I, I, 
I don't know. He he was my le- he was probably my least favorite part of Full Metal Jacket. Actually, Joker, really? Yeah. yeah. Some little independent movie nobody saw. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I realized he was the you know every man point of view guy, but I mean, he just I, I didn't I didn't care for his character. Hmm. I'm just surprised that that's not where everybody goes. Is that's what they think of? Yeah, I actually there are several other things that take me to Full Metal Jacket before Matthew Modine does. That's fair. Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah, mm. that's a big Arlie one. Army. Can I Stanley Kubrick? Can I say something that's going to nope, get you guys to yell, yell at me? You have never seen, seen Full Metal Jacket. I haven't seen Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> oh my god! I have not seen Full Metal Jacket. I watch that movie at least once a year. Well, let me know. We'll call each other. Put her on speakerphone, and we can it's talk so to each other. Good. It, it's all right, Mike. I've only seen it like twice, maybe at most. Okay, so uh, Joe Curie as Steve Harrington. The boyfriend. With his big face. And looks nothing like Tom Cruise. And his big hair. Yeah. Well, you know, well, you know what though? We'll get to that because you know, he had a character after, arc. Yeah, after we get to the you get through the trivia. So Millie Bobby Brown, eleven or L, had to shave most of her hair off for the show. Uh, as can be expected of any eleven year old girl. It was terrifying. The Duffer showed her how cool Charlie Theron looked like it looked uh in Mad Max Fury Road. And after she saw that, she's like, all right, let's do that then. Yeah, and I think her parents didn't even want her to chop her hair go, uh, to go all the way, like, close shaven, almost bald. And uh, eventually, she was on the side of the directors after seeing Furiosa. And, and she's like, all right, and now cut think off about, arm. Yeah. Do I get one of those Now how too? iconic that look is? Oh, yeah. I mean, now that the show has become what it is, I mean, no regrets, man. So uh, the state trooper that's guarding the morgue is reading Cujo by Stephen King. There's one of many nods to different horror and uh, uh, terror authors and movie directors and movies and all that through the entire show. Uh, The font for the credits in the episode titles is the same font that is used on Dungeons & Dragons source books. Ah, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah? There's um, there's actually a a website now called... uh, Strangeify it. Yeah, I saw that, and now I want to do it. Now that I know that, (laughs) I didn't really care so much, but now I know what that font is. Yeah, you type in whatever you want, it turns it into it turns it into (laughs) the. Yeah, Uh, uh, Hopper's trailer reportedly cost the art department a (laughs) dollar, which makes sense. And it shows. Um, The official poster for the series was created by Kyle Lambert. It was done in art style inspired. By the uh, poster album artwork artist Drew Struzan, who created the posters for Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Back to the Future, E.T., and others. Very he 80s is looking. the man. Yeah. Got uh, pretty impressive pedigree. So, uh, Dustin. Pretty sturdy loop. Gitan Marzaro. Uh, <laughs> pretty sturdy. His voice changed so much by the time the production ended that the sound team was unable to use him for additional dialogue. <laughs> Poor kid. Yeah. It's it. It's not Matarazzo, like Heather Matarazzo. I know they're not related, but oh, it probably is Matarazzo. Because when I saw his name at first, I'm like, is he related to to Heather Matarazzo from the Welcome to the Dollhouse? And I had to look it up. Huh. Excuse me. Uh, the Hawkins Police Department vehicles and uniforms are identical to those used in Jaws and Jaws Two. This includes the Chief's tan uniform, Amity Island triangle-shaped patch, and a beige. SUV that was worn and used in Roy, by Roy Scheider's character. 
This also includes the blue uniforms and trooper sheriff-style hats worn by the patrolmen and also matches the Amity Island police uniforms of the Jaws films. So there's yet another nod that I, I knew nothing. Yeah, I knew nothing about that. Um, Winona Ryder is the mom whose child has gone missing. Kid is Will. In real life, Ryder dedicated the film Little Women to Polly Hannah Klaas, a young girl from her hometown of Petaluma. Petaluma. Petaluma, California, who went missing, was later revealed to have been kidnapped and brutally murdered. She offered up a $200,000 reward for anyone with information on the subject, and as of 2016, still remains a strong supporter of the Polly Claus Foundation for the Prevention of Child Abduction and still aids in the search. Wow. Uh, Dustin's medical condition uh-huh. is called that. <laughs> uh, Clay, uh, Clyde yeah, clidocranial dysplasia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a disorder involving the abnormal development of bones in the skull and collar clavicle area. The condition is passed down through families and inherited genetically. So that's why, that's why he can look... do his thing with his arms and yeah. his shoulder. Yeah. And why he still has doesn't have his front teeth, apparently. Yep. But he's so fucking cool. <laughs> well, apparently he, he was known on set for like always pulling out his fake teeth off you know, off camera. Really? Show, and showing them to people, yeah. That sounds about right. <laughs> All right, so Stranger Things. I had this on my list for about three, four days before the weekend showed up and I started watching it because it, it was kind of like, this looks like a period piece. There wasn't a lot of info on the trailer out of outside of there's a bunch of kids and monsters, but damn, the Duffer Brothers did a good job. Yeah, I mean, there's almost too much material for us to go point by point through the entire plot. But the cultural phenomenon around it, like I, like you, Mike, I caught it in that first weekend, uh, just like right before <clears throat> I'm going to bed on Sunday. It's like 8, 9 o'clock, and uh, I turn on Netflix, and I notice this thing, and I was like, you know, I thought I saw something on the front page of Reddit about this. Let's give it a shot. And I watched the first episode. I was like, oh, my God. They had me at Dungeons & Dragons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I watched... Exactly. Yeah, on Saturday, I started watching it that Saturday. Got through three. The next day, I got up to seven, episode seven, and then saved eight for later in the week, because I didn't want it to end. It was... Um, the, I, I don't know how they managed to get the feel of a, of an eighties TV show. Like, almost like, remember the remake of, um, who was it? The vampire TV show with Barnabas Collins. Dark Shadows? Dark Shadows. Yeah. Remember the remake of Dark Shadows in the eighties? It had that same, like. Oh yeah, yeah. That creepy feel to it. And it reminded me of, of Carpenter, John Carpenter's intro to the Halloween series and, and that kind of synth um, music overlaying and in, in the title sequence. Mm. I mean, and, and the wipe kind of the dissolve or whatever to the, the storyline or the intro of the show. Yeah. It's, it's very much a throwback. Big and love of, letter. Of course, the most obvious influence <clears throat> is going to be Spielberg's E.T., Mm-hmm. I mean, just you could run down the parallels even real quick between you've got a person from another place who is being hidden in the basement from the parents, who while the parents are away is making objects float around the house. You've got the shady government agents chasing the kids on bikes, 
uh, in pursuit of the person from another place. Mm-hmm. The Dungeons like, and Dragons game. The Dungeons and Dragons game right at the beginning. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. The pizza. Yeah, just over and over and over again. They keep hitting the different beats. And even though, like, uh, Michael's family isn't very Forced much mother. like Elliot's. Yeah, M- Michael's family isn't. But uh, then you get to Will's family that is quite a bit like Elliot's was. Yeah. Dad's gone. Mom's struggling. Uh, a lot of empathy for every family. We didn't We didn't hear a whole heck of a lot about... Um, uh, uh, Lucas's. Yeah, Lucas or Dustin's families. Well, That's then you true. Got the bike chase where instead of flying, they just flipped the van, which was badass. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I mean, really, though, the story is about, um, you know, Mike and his best friend. You know, I mean, because, I mean, they even have that little scene where Dustin is talking. Oh, no, that was Lucas, wasn't it? Never mind. Okay, scrap that. I'm done. Good talk. Well, and in the beginning, you're like, okay, you got four friends who are playing D&D and Okay, it's going to be their story of of this alien or monster, whatever, and this girl, and then the one of the main characters disappears after the first episode, and you really don't see him again until the end. Well, one I of mean, the main characters disappears in the first ten minutes. Right, exactly. And you're like, wait, wait, this is not what I was expecting. Okay, what next? <laughs> it's like getting to be the Justin Bartha character in The Hangover. You're, like, you're one of the main characters, but you don't have to actually do anything. Right. Right. Well, but I mean, his uh, presence is definitely felt throughout almost every single episode between flashbacks and uh, people talking about how him being the missing piece of everybody's lives is what's driving them to do what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And and you've got all these independent segments of the storyline that are functioning separately from each other, doing different things to try and have the same ultimate end goal. But they don't all converge until the last two episodes, basically. And that was one of the things you were talking about, Pat, as you initially, when you were watching this, you're like, this is a slow burn. Mm-hmm. This really takes a while to get going. Um, There's a lot of setup. Someone, something else, someone else we forgot to mention, Mr. Clark, the science teacher. I just wanted to give a shout out to that guy because he's awesome. Absolutely. You seemed all about the kids. Yeah, all about the kids. And when they're at the at the wake, and they're like, you know, Miss, can you tell us about crossing over the other dimensions and this, then the other goes, do you know? Have you ever heard of the Veil of Shadows? Oh, the Veil of Shadows, and how he yeah. just rattles <laughs> off the description. And I am okay. I know we called spoiler. Did we call spoilers? Well, they, there's going to no, be spoilers. There's going to be spoilers. So when um, God, what was her name? The woman. Uh, Nancy. No, no, the the one who works with the uh the agent Florence. Agent oh, Con- the really uh, bad woman. A- yeah, Agent Connie. The one who the one who shot the uh, burger pl- the burger place guy in the head. When she showed up at his front door, I was like, "No." <laughs> yeah, don't yeah. kill him. I got really nervous. Don't kill Mr. Clark. And I kept I kept thinking the same thing about Hopper too, but yeah, that that very nerve-wracking. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, and the thing is, you you have so much of an identity with each of these people in these in this movie, or this not this show. I mean, you can almost parallel everybody that you talk to to somebody in in your past in high school and grade school that you talk to. You have that cool teacher who, when you call him at ten thirty at night, wanting to know how to build a uh, isolation chamber for fun, <laughs> he, was, he just rattles Don't off. Don't impede my learning. <laughs> yeah, why are you keeping this learning door closed? 
<laughs> there is, uh, in some of the B stories, the series goes to some really dark places. And I want to talk for a moment about Barb. Oh, poor Barb. No poor shit. Barb. She was Barb, never given a chance to grow out of her awkward stage. She's not pretty. She's not popular. And she's a <clears> teenager. <throat> so when she disappears, nobody gives a fuck. Yeah. That is so fucking dark. Yep. Yeah. That, I mean, and that. Like the only person that ever really looks after or looks for her is Nancy and her mother. And her mother even stops. Right. And Nancy's got the whole guilt thing motivating her almost more than anything else. It's, it's kind of messed up. And that shit happens. Yeah. And, it, and she's the only one that actually ended up dying. Yeah. Yeah. With that slugs, man. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Barb. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and some of some of the other characters don't get quite as much uh, development, but uh, I, I'd like to single out some of the ones that do. Michael is not just uh, a good friend and everything. He has kind of a, a violent temper streak, which I thought was kind of interesting for a kid who's nominally the lead. Like, he lashes out. Yeah. When he's challenged on different things, which but that's one of the that's one of the things that's endearing about this is the kids act like kids. Yes, and and that's it. I mean, especially like when they come back to uh, oh, what's the kid's name? <clears throat> they go back to Lucas to apologize. That whole scene where you know yeah. they're they're like, no, not doing this. You know, and that that whole argument they have about who is in the team and who's not on. You know, who's in the party, who's not in the party. Yeah, and it, and it would be like storytelling wise, it would be a, a quick and lazy way to like to just end the conflict and move on with the story. To just okay, we shake hands and we're done. But I mean, kids, you know, they did a good like I said, they did a good job of portraying kids as kids. And sometimes kids are just going to be stubborn like that. I'm like, no, I'm not shaking your hand. <laughs> yeah, you drew first blood. Yeah, I, I do wish that Nancy Wheeler and Joyce Byers had more to do at the beginning of uh, the series. Like, for a long time, both Joyce and Nancy are the one-note characters. You've got the stock girl from the horror movie discovering her sexuality and the stock mother, grieving mother. Slowly losing her mind and nobody believes her. Right. And in a... In a universe where everybody else seems to have something going on, hell, by the end, fucking Steve has a huge arc. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at least by the end, uh, Nancy more than Joyce, but at least they do get some character development. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> The worst character development goes to Nancy's father, however. He just stays the same dumbass in glasses that he was from the beginning to the end. Yeah. That's true. I don't, what the I? oblivious idiot. These two are going to key parties. Yeah. What? Right? going to key parties. I got that vibe from them, too. They definitely had to be swingers. <laughs> what did I do wrong? <laughs> um, also, Tommy and what's his girlfriend, Carol? Tommy and Carol? Oh, the kid with all the freckles? Yeah. Oh. You know, fuck those God. two. Yeah, those two, man. Those, oh those two are gonna. God. Those two are gonna be like methadone clinic volunteer workers, just to get you know their hands on the stash. Well, they're going to be the people that Jonathan Byers was talking about. They thought they were hot shit 
in high school and he ends up at a dead end sales job, ends up beating her up and she stays with him because she doesn't know any other life. The yep. boring people that Jonathan Byers uh, thinks that Nancy has a chance to be better than. Mm-hmm. But from the melodrama of those kinds of scenes, let's shift track a little bit and talk about Millie Bobby Brown because with often without even saying a word, her performance is just fucking amazing. She, for the, I mean, honestly, for the amount of dialogue that she has, is a fraction of just about in everybody else, including uh, uh, Joyce Byers' uh, ex-husband, who's yeah. only, I mean, he, she, and she is so good at just using a handful of words and her projecting whatever it is that she's supposed to be projecting to people she's, I mean, it, she's got very emotive eyes yeah mm-hmm. yeah well it's and, like when you see her get kind of her head turned down slightly and her eyes get sunken in and you know she's about to start kicking somebody's ass or doing something crazy with their mind oh yeah just that look and that was that was one of the things like with uh when and the on the edge of the cliff in uh where there what's his face pulls a knife on him oh yeah what the yeah fuck? it's sort of like a stephen king's it kind of scene yeah it it really was it was kind of like that kid over the edge that i mean like the what the hell's going on type moment but when she comes walking around the corner and she's comes down she comes down the hill looking after she caught mike from falling and she's got that look with the face down and the eyes staring up i was watching it again with the girls and giving and katie's like oh crap <laughs> Here it comes, you know, and and that was it. Well, she's. Oh, no, I was gonna say she can go. She's from got that, the biggest. Yeah, yeah. That, go ahead. No, it's okay. You go. I was That's just good. gonna say it's she's good. Wait a minute. Fucking assholes. Oh, she's got some of the biggest character development and arc in the whole thing, going from somebody who's been raised basically in a a room. And a science building being manipulated to having to learn how to trust people, what it is to be friends, what the world is outside of that. How delicious then, egos are. I was just going to say the deliciousness <laughs> egos. of egos. <laughs> to then ultimately making the ultimate sacrifice to save all those people that she, you know, had just learned how to have a relationship with. Yeah, and they were very clever because they were originally going to show you her story almost chronologically and hit you right up front with her powers. But dribbling out little bits of this is what she could do. This is a piece of her past. This is a development moment. So powerful. Mm-hmm. And and the flashback scenes, I mean, I I agree with you on that, that if we had known everything she was capable of at the very beginning, you know, if we had seen – that scene where they try and put the, put her in the copper room and she snaps one guy's neck and crushes the other guy against the wall, we wouldn't have had the same empathy for her as we did in the beginning of the show because we, if we had known... She would have looked like a bad guy from the beginning. Right. And it would have all been too much. Like, just seeing a little bit at a time of her going from running scared to doing slightly weird things to, holy shit, this kid has some power... And why, uh, we're re- slowly learning why she is the way she is. I mean, they're barely done telling her backstory until the very end of the series. Mm-hmm. That's good stuff. And by that time, it's time to flay the flower monster. Indeed. Great creature design, too, huh? Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it looks looks great. So does the whole upside what? down, and most of that was practical effects again. Well, I think the production department deserves a, a huge bit of praise for overall, just even just down to the everyday clothes and outfits and things that they wore. You and then you add in all the other things that were going on the the lab, the like I said, the upside down, the uh, the the Christmas lights. I mean, all of that was just oh my, it God. just all fit together perfectly. Winona Ryder pulling such an emotional scene, talking to a bundle of lights, right? Yeah. That, I mean, uh, so good. <laughs> and that kind of had shades of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah. The whole lights thing. Yeah. And, my, you know, my kid is missing. You know, that, that entire thing. Um, look, can we talk a little bit about Hopper? Yeah, nope. let's. No, I'm not, not at all. No. <laughs> I mean, the, and what I like about him is you don't understand. You get a minimal glimpse about why he's so intensely helping to find uh, Will. Because you find out a little bit when they're doing the search, you find out his daughter died. You don't find anything else about him until later on in the in the series, and then you discover that this guy is so emotionally involved and now that he knows that Will is out there, to the point where he walked into the morgue and he pulled that knife out and was ready to cut uh, Will's body open. I mean, to reach that point where he so intensely wants to find this kid and re- is reaching the point where he believes that there's some sort of uh, chicanery going on. And then... Ah, good uh, word. Like that? And also going around and punching everybody. <laughs> when he walked... <laughs> when, when all else fails, punch it. <laughs> yeah, when, my favorite my favorite hopper punching has got to be when he comes up to the guy guarding the uh, the morgue. He's like, you can't come in here. Well, it's okay. I'm with so-and-so. Well, I don't know who so-and-so is. And he just kind of gets to look like, I tried. Yeah. I guess oh, I've got a punch. When, when he's all like, he's, he's like, obviously, I'm supposed to be here. I'm here for Dr. So-and-so. Yeah. Is, How else would I be in here? Ha-ha-ha. <laughs> punch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's, I mean, he's he's in on it. He knows there's something going wrong, and he wants to bring Will back because he finds some sort of redemption for that in the kid, in his daughter dying in a way that he has absolutely no control over. And, like, he figures if he could save Will and this girl, right. you know, then that, that's, that's, you know... That's redemption for Give him. him a little bit of peace, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of these questions that are being asked is you take these stock archetypes, these, uh, what I was saying, the... Uh, unoriginal squares that the great quilt is woven from and you usually only get an hour and a half to two hours to explore these characters there's like okay let's take these types that are very familiar and see what happens when we do a whole season with them Mm -hmm. yeah and it just it kept getting better and better and i think the reason that i left the final episode when i i could have watched it i didn't want to i didn't want it to end and thankfully in the few days from the Sunday to the Wednesday that I watched the last episode, I found out that they're making a sequel. They've already started on it, which, yep. good. A lot of unanswered questions hanging on that last episode. Especially, right? Especially the uh, the uh, slug vomit. Yeah, so, I mean, eventually they get Will out of the Upside Down, or do they? Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody <clears throat> pointed out that uh, in the final episode, the boys are back playing D&D again. Will's back with them. And Michael ends his campaign. And all of the kids are like, well, what about the princess? 
what about the fallen knights? Blah, blah, blah. And they go on and on. And every one of those elements that the kids are complaining about not being resolved are lingering story threads that are unresolved for the series. Yep. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. I, I The girls watched it with me. I, I watched the entire series and then watched it again because, okay. Um, <clears throat> but I watched it at the end and asked them at the end, okay, what did you – what was your big hanging point at the end? And Sophie was like, he's puking slugs. What the hell? <laughs> you know, why is he flipping back into the uh, into the upside down? How come he's not telling anybody? You know, what's going on with that? Uh, I asked Katie, you know, what was the, you know, what, re- what really got to you at the end of the, the last uh, episode? She was upset that Nancy was still with Steve. <laughs> <laughs> like... All right, I'll give you but that. But again, again, that's a that's a little more realistic. Hollywood would say that she went off with the guy that everybody would want her to go off with, but it's a little more realistic that she would stay with the guy that she was kind of with in the first place. Because teenagers, it's always easier to stay than Before it is to know. go. Yeah. Well, and he proved himself to not be a total douche. Right. Like the revelation that while he was hurt and went along with his friends' a plan to publicly shame her, it wasn't his idea. He thought about it, and maybe he wouldn't have believed her if she'd said, hey, I- I'm done with our teenage angst romance arc and onto the monster ass-kicking plot, which is way more interesting anyway. Mm-hmm. But when he sees the monster he's like you're right this plot is more interesting i'm gonna be a part of it (laughs) yeah when he showed up at the house i was waiting for like the big my my fear was there was going to be the fist fight between uh steve and jonathan and then flowerhead shows up but i'm really (laughs) glad that they all like got their shit together on that i was i was almost 100 percent certain that steve was going to die at, at some point during that whole battle Oh, I, I was, was like, sure. There's no way. It's like, as soon as he didn't immediately leave, I'm like, well, there's no way this guy lives to the end. <laughs> no. Well, you just signed your own death warrant, kid. <laughs> yep. When he showed back up, I was like, yep, dead. <laughs> well, but he needed that chance for that redemption and to have that that arc. Oh, it was nice to actually be wrong. I mean, I I enjoyed yeah. that they didn't do the the trope thing, you know. And that's the thing is in something that leans so heavily on 1980s tropes. If you have him as a character in one of those movies, the more typical path would be to have him just be the abusive boyfriend who turns out to be a shithead and remains a shithead all the way to the end. And then she gets together with the good guy or the opposite that, you know, he hit as part of his redemption is he has to die. Like, yeah, you know, sure. He, right. He has to be doing the whole soulful dying in their arms. You know, and I'm sorry. And blah, blah, blah. Dead. Yeah. He has to have the the the. uh the changed hero's death. But he but he got the redemption and he got to live. So Yeah. Good on you, Steve. Yeah. Made it to season two. Good on you. That was that was for killer. <laughs> uh, and we've got a lot of unanswered questions about the upside down too. And the uh brothers have How do you navigate around in there? I mean the air's toxic. Why are uh, shadows of buildings and other certain structures, but not other structures, appearing in the Upside Down? Is there a GPS or a map quest? <laughs> well, what I've heard is that the Duffer Brothers have a 60-page breakdown of just the Upside Down and what it is, what the rules are, what exists there, what doesn't, mm-hmm. that we've only seen 
Okay, a that, that small gives me portion like a, of it. A world building boner to oh, know yeah. that they have that much information on it and ready and like if they have everything all ready the, and explained and and good to go and they're not going to do like the J.J. Abrams lost thing where we're just going to make it up as we go. That's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, they they definitely. Well, I mean, look at look at all the devotion they put to D and D in this. Sure. I mean, there is a. They are really accurate on their. Except D&Ds. they didn't know not to throw their dice all over the room. That was <laughs> annoying. Was that? <laughs> nobody, no, nobody throws dice like that in D and D. They were they, excited. We've never had a wild die before. Oh, we have, but I mean, nobody like openly like you know, like a, like you're doing a like you're Joe Bluth doing a magic trick. Like, da-da! see that happened to kids who played D and D when they were eleven who had friends. I'm gonna go cry into my pillow. <laughs> right to the dick punch, man. That's pretty rough there. <laughs> yeah. Nobody walked out on my D and D sessions because <laughs> nobody was there. Oh. Uh, That's not what I heard. They were all kidnapped I heard you before out they once. showed up. <laughs> uh, another thing I wanted to call out, though, is uh, the awesome attention to detail from the fact that, like the middle to lower class uh, families, were had a lot of appliances and cars and shit from the seventies because they wouldn't have had brand new nineteen eighties stuff just so we could be impressed with how eighties everything was. Mm-hmm. Right? No, it that looked, is true because I mean it was it was a world that looked lived in. Yeah, and it was authentic to those of us who were kids in the time. Because there was so much left over from previous decades, and it was built up around that sort of foundation. Can I toss in the one thing that pulled me out of it? Yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> when um, who's when Nancy's mom comes home? No, I think no, it was uh, Mike's mom comes home. When that would be their their brother and sister, dude. Same. Yeah, yeah. Same sorry, when the Wheeler mom comes home, she's shopping, she's carrying a baby in one arm. She's got a bag full of groceries in the other, and there's a fucking box of Trader Joe's Jozos in that in that bag. <laughs> now they, I'm probably the only person that would notice that after I work because I worked there for so long. But it was it was just like it got me searching about whether or not there were Trader Joe's in Indianapolis in the '80s, in the Indy area in the '80s. But is that is that where this is based? Indianapolis? Yeah, Indy, based in Indy. Oh, not Indianapolis, but in Indiana. Yeah. Hmm. In I was going to say because if it was California, they could they could get away with it. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. Uh, first, I thought chance? it was California because I'm like, oh, if it was Cali, then of course they you know they were around back then. They've been around there for 50 years in California, but it, they weren't there in Indianapolis. But that is like the only thing, and possibly me and Buckaroo are the only two people that would notice that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even notice that. Uh, a couple of the cars were uh, there featured a couple years before they came out. Uh, Barb's car, her Volkswagen, was five years too early. Yeah. That's a late. There, there's car. always tiny little anachronisms in movies like this because you can't get everything 100 percent right. Yeah, and there's also what is available to them for the car. I mean, do they? You know, we need a car that looks like it's old. This is the only one that we can get. Okay, and and really, I mean, little things like that don't affect the story and don't hurt anything. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, unless it's glaringly obvious and or or it affects the the story, like I mean, you can't have a kid, you know, oh, in, in a movie in 1984, go, oh, well, let's go Google that. Yeah, I mean, right. That's a little obvious, but I mean, 
that you know the difference between that and like you know they're driving a car that didn't come out until six months after this you know this this movie is set or whatever it's like i could forgive something like that i mean whatever sure. you know it's fun to nitpick because they got it so right so much of the time exactly mm-hmm. if, if you're if you're having to look for things that bad then they did a pretty good job right the only major plot point thing was uh that should i say or should i go was pretty much at that point just being played in pubs in England. So Jonathan Byers was really plugged into the music scene. If he had like it a on young cassette. Joel Kenyon, <laughs> he has some friend in London that is just mailing him tapes of the next big thing. I mean, that was a compliment, Joel. I heard you. <laughs> I think. Just say I'm thank you. I'm not used to that, so. <laughs> You don't know how to act. Yeah. Like, wait, are you making fun of me? Exactly. <laughs> no, it's just a compliment, comment on how you always knew all the bands before anybody else did. Mm-hmm. I have well, to agree. I mean, it was released in 82, so what What year does this take place? 1983. So if it was released in 82, where's the disconnect? It was released in, in, in the UK in 83. When was it released in America? That is No, 82. 82? That was when it came out. It was on the U.S. Billboard uh, Hot 100 top chart. Uh, this is terrible. <laughs> good radio. This, good, this is good podcasting right yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> Listen as we use Google to find things out we should have already known. Listen to the anxiety in our typing as we try to figure <laughs> this out. Well, all right, then. All right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there is a second, uh, second season coming out, which I hope we're going to get some information about. We're going to get some answers to some stuff out there, but, uh, why is Mike puking slugs into the sink? For instance, why does he flip over into the, the upside down when he does it? (laughs) What the hell is Hopper doing? Like the FBI or whoever that was showed up and like took him away at the end. He went with them and then came back like nothing was wrong. Right. But now he's leaving egos in the woods. <laughs> and that's not a euphemism. Yep. Well, it so could obviously be. she is still alive. Well, somehow in some way. Yeah. We'll find 11, out next 11 season. is out there somewhere. Uh, oh, uh, can I just say Connie Frazier's death was fantastic. Agent. When, oh, when all- oh, yeah. That was so. I mean, because it's like when she freezes them, you know, you're when you're watching it, you're like, oh, cool. She froze them. Okay, something weird's going on. They're still frozen. Nothing's happening. What's going And then suddenly you just kind of notice something coming out of their eyes and their nose. And you're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was a creepy death. Yeah, it was. Deserved it, though. Oh, yeah, she uh, seemed like such very a. Very much so. Yeah, she seemed like she should have been like such a nice, you know, Betty Crocker type mother. No, she was an evil bitch. Joel, I figured out your disconnect. Uh, should I stay or should I go? Did come out in 82. But uh, Jonathan first playing the song for Will is in a flashback. Ah, there you That's go. several years before the series has started. Oh. Was it that far back? I thought it was like. Well, looked like his dad was still far, with them in the, uh, in the flashback. Yeah, so it had they... to at least be a couple of years ago. Yeah, because they were fighting. Hmm. So that was I, I knew that I had read this and then you were like, well, what's the problem? And I, I was like, I, I got to find this real quick without derailing the podcast. I, and I finally found it. Yeah. <clears throat> OK, so take that. Yeah. Joel, <laughs> take that. I was answering. That's more question. like a pet. 
That's Ouch. what he expects. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like this was an overwhelming thumbs up for all four of us. Was it, Pat? Absolutely. I'd definitely give it a thumbs up. I I liked it. I thought it was a little bit slow in a lot of places, and I thought it was a little bit uh, slop- not sloppy. That's not the right word. Um, I thought the dialogue was a little bit um, wooden in a lot of places, but overall, I, I really I, I liked it. I liked it. So thumbs up. And I, I'll give it to you. The pacing is uneven in spots. The dialogue is uneven in spots. Hell, a lot of the. Uh, story uh that isn't related to the main story like the like i said the b story with the the teens uh off getting into the party lifestyle and discovering their sexuality it had to be there to evoke those images of john carpenter but it wasn't particularly interesting for most of it right you know and it's just i don't know and and i have a a big problem with some with with a driving plot point that honestly the whole thing can be could have been solved in half an hour if L had just gone to the other side and just crushed this thing immediately, you know. And then suddenly, but then suddenly you don't have a story at all. But I mean, well, that, that's kind of a problem that that your entire story really doesn't even need to exist if this one thing just happens. Like the but whole she, fight. I don't think she. I was gonna say the whole fight with, with Steve that, and, and but the whole fight with like Steve and Jonathan and Nancy against the Beast really didn't do or change anything nothing really mattered until l crushed the beast and 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 blew it up i mean nothing really mattered nothing damaged him nothing nothing hurt him nothing harmed him he still kept doing what he kept doing so i mean all those storylines really didn't need to exist at all because they didn't ultimately change anything because the only thing that mattered was she crushed him i'm with joel on this one though say what you're gonna say because i agree with it uh, I was just going to say that the pet is like me trying to answer an essay question. I'm going to write the the answer in the simplest form possible, but it doesn't make it an essay question. It makes it an answer. So you're basically saying that the story could have been done a different way and been easier, but then it wouldn't have been a story. Right. It would have just been an answer to a question. But I'm just saying, like, I mean, the monster. It, yes. It, I mean, your your character is so ultimately powerful that the story doesn't have to be told because she – your your ace in the hole is well. All that's ever going to happen at the end is our superhero is just going to crush this thing like a diamond. You know, it's it's like having but she Superman, had to become the hero. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's like having the power of Superman in your back pocket, but you'd never use it until the very end to end the story. Let me spin it for you this way, because I want to back up Joel's point here. What if the biggest conflict for Eleven isn't whether or not she can beat the Demogorgon, but if she beats the Demogorgon, she doesn't have a reason to be hanging around with her new friends anymore. And really, the demon she has to uh, face is figuring out how to interact with other people. And her, or or maybe just you know having a reason to sacrifice herself. Maybe she, maybe she knows. She has to sacrifice herself to save everything, but she doesn't have a reason to do that until she has these friends. You were trying to say, Joel? I don't think she, I just don't think she realizes any of it until it's she's made it her way through her storyline. She doesn't realize that she has those powers. She doesn't realize that she has a reason to do it. She doesn't realize that there's any of that. She's so in, entirely brainwashed and beat down by Matthew Modine's character, her papa, that 
until she has the strength of of the love and the companionship of her friends, it does, none of that matters. As far as she knows, she's always going to be the weak link. And we're back to the power of love. <laughs> exactly. It's E.T. all over again. Well, and it's, well, it's also it's the, Huey Lewis all over again. Joel, get it right. It's the classic oh, heroes, wow. classic heroes journey too, because uh, that's the question: is like, does the hero have the power to defeat the evil all along, or? Is the journey important? And I think that because a hero's journey has been told so many times over and over and over again, the answer is clearly the journey is important. Yeah, but I mean, I, I definitely I, I I like that, and I like that you know that that excuse for it. But I mean, I don't think her journey here necessarily gave her the the power, but maybe the confidence. So I don't know. Well, plus I, I'm, mean, I'm not I'm not as adamant about it now. <laughs> a case could be made for the monster not being the true villain. Right. I, I mean, I mean I, the, you, you, you basically would have – because what you're trying to say is like you basically have to take the, the story on the surface and make the real story about the subtext. Right, and about the character's relationship. Right. And even if you want to go back to the world, in some ways, the government agents – who, like, I know everybody at that one facility who were overseen by Matthew Modine, they're gone, but the Department of Energy people above them, they're still out there somewhere. And even though the specific company is being investigated, as we see in the closing moments with, like, the newspaper clippings, those bastards did this. They discovered the uh, entity not because it was hunting them, but by chance because they were doing this really unethical pushing the boundaries shit right and the interesting thing about this whole this whole story is really the evil entity that is behind all of this this was not even their primary purpose or whatever i mean this was just a happenstance to whatever it is that they were doing so in the second season we're probably going to find out more shit about this parent company because this story is just a typical day for them. They're like, whatever, we made a mistake on this and we opened up a gate to another whatever thing. Let the other department handle it. We're moving on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, if it wasn't for Dr. Martin Brenner doing what he did to begin with, none of this would have ever happened. Because this was, this was an accidental byproduct to whatever it is their primary goal slash mission slash intention was. Yeah, and even though he's gone, there are other people like him that are still out there, which is, I think we're going to learn more about those people in season two. Because there's a lot of people bucketed for promotion now that they got a lot of openings. That's corporate life. I'm going to be a guard. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to say. You guys were so getting into it. I don't want to mess with any of the mojo you had going there. (laughs) So... Do you think we've mentioned enough on this point? Yes. I want to make it clear. Overall, I mean, I, I do give it a thumbs up. I, I, I did like it. Good. It wasn't perfect. I don't think it's worth the idolization and adulation. It's good, you know, but I think it's definitely good. Well, I think it's just been so long that we since we've had something like this. Yeah. That's what I think. So. I mean, there was that show, but clouds. that was awful. What did you say, Joel? I said you just needed to yell at some clouds. <laughs> <laughs> so next week, in honor of Nenemlas, we are doing the roast show. <laughs> you know, when we finally do the Arnold show, I have to believe at some point he's going to come back and listen to all of these. He's going to just get pissed off again. Yeah, he's, 
No, uh, this is uh, Maybelline's idea, uh, who suggested us doing a roast show. And initially, we thought about roasting Joel, and Joel asked us not to. And <laughs> yeah, because I was, I, I had the idea that we write a little roast of each other, and we decided that, that we're already mean enough to each other. We probably shouldn't make attempts to. Yeah, I don't. I don't think taking the last Ratchet glove off for us would be good. Would be a good idea. <laughs> So yeah, we're doing the roast show. We're gonna watch suicide show. Yeah, <laughs> yikes! Jeez, that got dark quick. Uh, we're gonna watch the uh, old uh, celebrity roast. The um, what's his name, Pat? Dean Martin. Dean Martin. Dino. Yeah, Dean Martin celebrity roast. And then we're gonna watch some of the uh, Comedy Central roasts that have come on in the last few years and do a little comparison to those. Those two. Yeah, the Friars Club, pretty much all the way up from before we were born to now. Yep. So. Yeah. So, till then. Yeah, if uh, we missed a point about Stranger Things, you want to address or want to get deeper on something uh, about it or want to talk about some aspect of E.T. we didn't touch on, you can always give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Right. And uh, Uh, we need to get a mailing address, so if they want to send us something like Reese's Pieces or something... Until we do the Arnold show, we are not getting a fucking mailing address. <laughs> Good point. Yes. Is that anthrax? Oh. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Remember, you can find our older stuff in a couple weeks. Next week, you'll uh, find our older stuff on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, and uh, Blueberry, and on TuckShoe. That's it. Ouch. That last one seemed kind of pain. (laughs) All right, good night, everybody. (sighs) I I was expecting it to go the other way. I didn't think the penis was going to have toes.